It's time for Local Motion on KVNF, your mountain-grown community radio. I'm your host, Cassie Knust. Today on the show, we're discussing permaculture. Permaculture focuses on using land, resources, people, and the environment in a way that doesn't produce any waste. You'll hear from two permaculturists. First, Wind Clearwater of the Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute. Wind has been living in the North Fork Valley for 23 years, teaching permaculture off and on ever since. He's preparing for his next course, where he'll teach students about permaculture design in Paonia. Then you'll hear a conversation with Elizabeth Agee of Moon Hill Dairy, a cheese manufacturer near Steamboat Springs. When Elizabeth isn't spending her time with Moon Hill Dairy, she's also involved in fruit production while working with nonprofit Colorado Farm and Food Alliance as the Just Good Food Manager. Let's dive in and hear from Wind Clearwater. What got you interested in permaculture? Uh, when I was younger, in my 20s, I uh, was looking for some sort of methodology that got me more connected to the natural world. And I was uh, looking through the catalog at the Naropa Institute in Boulder, where I lived at the time. And they had a course description about permaculture. And uh, it just filled everything that I felt like I wanted to do. It had everything from natural building to off-grid living to alternative organic farming, forest gardening. And it was all in one little package. It was like this amazing kind of aha moment for me. I was like, wow, there's actually something that has got everything that I want to do with my life. And so I took the course and been working with it um, in various capacities since uh, 94. So what is permaculture exactly? What is important for people to know and how does it work? Permaculture is a design philosophy that looks at the natural world and observes different patterns that happen in the natural world and takes those patterns and applies them to human life so that we can create systems that are more sustainable so that there's no waste. If we look at nature, we realize that there's no waste in the natural world at all. And in the human world, of course, there is. So by taking those different types of uh, patterns that we see in the natural world and applying them to our life, we can actually create closed systems. So it's integrating animals into garden systems. It's it's using the things that we have in our homes and in, in recycling the water and things like that so that we don't create any waste at all. So it's an overall design philosophy and it can be applied from anything from your backyard to a single family home all the way up to cities to countries, to and the entire globe, if we could work together and create those systems. It's really about learning from nature, how nature creates systems where there's no waste. And how would someone go about getting into permaculture if they're interested? Well, the first step in permaculture is always observation. So we want to look at the world around us and see what's going on on our particular site. So if I have a home that I want to start to do permaculture principles and philosophy on, I want to look at the world around me and see what the land has to offer. What is it saying to me? And for humans, a lot of times, that's a little bit of a stretch for our minds because we have a tendency to use our own brains and superimpose our ideas on the earth. So it's a reverse mentality, really, of looking at the world around us and allowing the natural world to tell us what it wants and to figure out how we can actually integrate ourselves into that natural world. It's as simple as growing a small garden in your backyard. That's a good first step. 
And then another one of the principles of permaculture is small, slow solutions. So we take very small steps. It can be very overwhelming to completely redefine and our whole lifestyle from where we're at right now to actually create a permaculture system in our life. So we start with small things. It's as easy as using your bags again at the grocery store or composting or using gray water in your garden, things like that. Now, can you explain the difference between permaculture and traditional farming? Traditional farming generally is a monocultural system that uses a lot of chemicals to create fertility for plants. It feeds plants and not soil. And with permaculture, it's totally opposite. We look at nature and we say, oh, well, there's a lot of different species that are growing in one small area. So one of the paramount parts of permaculture is forest gardening, where we look at the forest and we bring together edibles and medicinal plants that all work together in a forest setting. So we've got fruit trees and berry bushes and edible herbs as an understory layer, and they're all growing in the same place. Permaculture would only be using organic methodology. It also seeks to incorporate animals into the system, whether it be actually bringing the animals into the garden or at the appropriate times, or we can also use the products from animals, whether it be the waste products from them as far as manure goes, or when we do slaughters by using their blood and bone meal right on our own location and integrating that into the ground in order to create fertility. So permaculture also does a lot of intercropping. When you grow annual vegetables, you grow different annual vegetables in the same bed. And that helps to build better soil health because different types of plants have different relationships with the microbials in the soil themselves. So with trees and shrubs, those have more of a fungal relationship versus a bacterial relationship with annuals and perennial plants. So by bringing them all together, we're actually creating a higher fertility. We're feeding this, the soil life as well, which then in turn feeds the plants above. So it's this sense of integrating things together and bringing them all together so that they can do what they're supposed to do instead of separating them out, which is much more of the conventional commercial agriculture approach. That is very interesting. So how does this impact people on a more day-to-day -day scale versus larger scales? Well, as we look around us in the 21st century, I think that most people are starting to realize that the resources that were so abundant 150 years ago are dwindling in our world. And that's because a lot of the stuff that we have that we've extracted from the earth becomes waste product, whether it's organic matter from our yard, sticks and leaves that could be composted, whether it's metal products from different things that we use in our modern world that are just thrown into landfills, even plastic products that we're extracting from the earth that are then thrown into landfills. All of that stuff in the landfill is lost to us. There's the resources that we'll never be able to recover unless we go and start mining landfills, which may happen in 100 years because we won't have the product anymore. There's only a certain amount of copper and iron on the, on the earth. There's only a certain amount of the mineral products in particular. And then even the organic products, as far as trees go and things like that, we begin to lose because we're harvesting so much of that that the trees can't keep up with the amount that we're actually taking. And then the organic matter, topsoil, 
and the fertility of the soil is lost as well. So if we can take all of those products that we're losing to the landfill and bring them back and find a place for them in our culture and a way to recycle them, not to mention also just being conscious of the materials that we're using initially, instead of creating so much waste, we can actually bring that back. Because everything that we have in our modern world has a place that we can then reincorporate it somehow. We just have to figure out that technology and utilize it instead of just putting it into the ground somewhere. So in doing that, we conserve our energy, we conserve the resources themselves, and we also make a better world for the future generations of this planet. There's a lot of consciousness now about climate change and these things that people are starting to get very worked up about, but it's because we're taking product and we're just throwing it into the landfill. That's a big part of it. And that uses more fossil fuels to make new product. And certainly in the 21st century, we have enough technology to actually figure out how to do that. You know, we're trying to get to Mars. So it shouldn't be that hard to make everything nice right here on our planet Earth that has everything that we need to survive. We've only been here for a couple hundred thousand years. Now we've been consuming so much for the last hundred years. And it's been the last, since I've been alive, the last 50 years that people have started to really wake up and say, oh my goodness, we're running out of stuff. And we've got to look at that as humans and start to really understand how we can assimilate the natural world and also observe the natural world. This is a big part of it. There's no waste in nature. And that's a really important point that I think that people need to realize that we are part of the natural world. And if we can integrate ourselves into it, then we can live our lives with no waste either, as people did for 100,000 years or more before we got to our modern civilization. And what are some more examples of permaculture in action? Permaculture in action is anything from building with local resources for our homes. In Colorado, heating with the sun, passive solar heating, natural building, using the resources we have for building our homes, because that's something that we all need, alternative energy sources, forest gardening, like I spoke about earlier, which is uh, looking at the forest and bringing those systems into our garden system in order to create more sustainable gardening systems. Just being smart about how we transport ourselves, eating locally, that's a great way to do it. We're very blessed to be living on the Western Slope where there's so much local food. You could literally eat 12 months out of the year of local foods around, at least the North Fork Valley for sure, and a lot of the rest of the Western Slope. So those are some of the techniques that we can use. But it's also as simple as taking your bags to the grocery store with you. And now that the higher-ups have begun to actually implement laws where we have to start using our own bags or boxes. And when they take those boxes home, break them down and compost those. But um, if we can get away from using so much paper, then we get away from so much harvesting trees for pulp and making paper and cardboard. But when we do have those things, let's put them right back into the ground so that they actually can go back into the earth, which is what, in my opinion, we really need to do because we're losing topsoil. And if we don't have topsoil, then we're going to be in a real crisis situation as far as creating food. And that takes a long time to actually create topsoil. Composting is another great one using gray water. Using humanure is another one, which I know in the North Fork Valley in Delta County has been a hot topic, but using all the water that we use to flush toilets so many times a day in what people consider a drought around here is losing millions of gallons of water to wastewater treatment programs, which sure, they dump them back into the, into the river, but at the same time, if we can use that water instead to grow food for ourselves and also use the humanure to put that back into ground, 
which is an excellent resource for creating fertility in gardens when done properly. And do you have any advice for those living maybe in apartments or other alternative housing and how they can contribute? That gets a little bit tricky because the space is the thing, but being conscious about how much energy they're using, being conscious about how much water they're using, I think it's really about just bringing ourselves back into an awareness about the impact that we have beyond the walls that we live in. So if we're just thinking about our home and I leave my lights on or I leave the water running, then, you know, we don't really think about where the water comes from or where the power comes from or where the waste products from our home comes from. If you live in an apartment, you can find someone that's a friend of yours that is composting. Give them your organic matter that they can then compost to put into their garden. Simple things like when you're taking a shower, put a five-gallon bucket in the shower with you. Collect some of that water that's just going down the drain. Water your houseplants with it. Or pour it on the ground outside on a green grassy spot or where there's a tree. Put the water back into the ground. Water is our most precious resource, especially here on the western slope because we live in the desert. So if we can take that water and we can put it back into the ground, we actually help to recharge the hydrological system that we have here And it helps everybody, including the species that live around us, both plants and animals. So those are little tiny things, but there's still things that are impactful. Drive less, walk more, be outside in nature more, just take a walk, sit and observe the natural world. Just bring yourself into awareness of the natural world around you in a deeper way where you really begin to understand that you are the natural world. That's really important. So regardless of where you live, it's really about what you hold inside of you in your own personal consciousness about how you exist. And as humans, we've separated ourselves in so many ways, not just with computers and with boxes that we live in and cars we drive, but also in our own minds about how we live. We don't necessarily think as humans that we're part of the natural world, but we are. We come from the earth because we're food. And we're water and we're air. That's what we're made of. And those are all part of the earth. Just that kind of consciousness alone will shift the mentality of how we live on this planet. And I think to me, that is the fundamental shift that has to happen. So you have a class coming up with permaculturist Jerome Ossentowski. Tell me more about that. Yeah, Jerome and I will be teaching a permaculture design certificate course, which is a course that introduces students to the principles, the ethics, and the concepts of permaculture. Everything from some natural building, hands-on stuff, and we've got some great instructors for that. Donnie and Kaki Hunter, who've been teaching for years. We're going to be talking about seed saving, so closing the cycle on going from seed all the way to harvest, just collecting seed. We're going to be talking about forest gardening. We're going to be talking about observation, microclimates and climates. We're going to be talking about relative placement of different parts of an overall site design and how you put those pieces together in the puzzle so that they can serve multiple purposes and do what they're supposed to do. It's going to be really fun. It's a really great class because there's a nice balance of talking and actual hands-on fun stuff. Everyone works together for nine days and they get to know each other really well. I've done several of these courses and Jerome's been teaching this course for 30 years. So he's really great with it. We'll be going over to Basalt to his place, the Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute, 
for a day and we'll be coming to my place for a day. And the location that we'll all be staying at is up in Paonia, which is a site that needs some rehabilitation. So we'll be working on that. And the course ends with the students all working in groups to do different design projects. And then they do a presentation at the end. So it's really a fun class. People walk away with a totally different perspective of how the world works. What are some barriers or challenges that exist for someone wanting to get into permaculture? Well, I mean, I think part of it it goes back to just what I said about our own consciousness. It's really making a shift. Our culture brings us up in a culture of separation, separation from each other and separation from the natural world. So it's really making that shift can be really challenging for people, especially because our lifestyle as Americans is a lot of times focused on human life and what it is to work in an office or work on a computer. And so that can be a tough shift. It's also challenging because we have to transport ourselves in vehicles. We have to work for money. These systems that have been created, good or bad, are systems that actually make it more challenging for us to honor the natural world around us. And that's what permaculture is about. It's about honoring the natural world. So those are the shifts that are hard. But again, it's all about taking small steps. And it can be extremely overwhelming when you start to have the awareness of permaculture and ourselves as part of the natural world. It can be really challenging and almost daunting in a way that is like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to handle this? So small steps, just little tiny things like taking a walk and sitting in nature, sitting on the ground, feeling the earth. That's the very beginning. And when you start to do that, all of a sudden these other things start to happen. And it may take 10 or 20 years for people to really bring themselves back to a place where they can actually hold that in their consciousness. But we, I believe that we need a shift. And I think it has to be grassroots. It's got to be each individual doing that work on their own and wanting to do that work. Um, we can't expect the powers that be to actually do that because the machine is so enormous at this point that it's really hard. There can be small things in place, but we have to do that on our own. And then from the bottom up, we have to redefine what it is to be Americans and to be humans on the planet. And it's really about going back to the roots because again, for a hundred thousand years, we lived like that. It's in our DNA. It's in who we are as people to do that. It's not that far of a stretch. We just have to remember what it is to be that. As a permaculturist, what do you have your eye on this time of year? Bringing in the bounty. It's a beautiful year. We've had an incredible year in the garden. So that's really fun. And uh, my shift will start to focus back onto, I've built a straw bale house at my place. So I'll be kind of getting back onto working on some of that. So that's kind of where I'm at, but it's really enjoyable to be in the garden right now and to be able to be eating the cherries off the trees and see the apricots ripening and to be eating peas and looking at the wonderful bounty that we'll have. So, um, you know, when you're into the permaculture mentality, you get really you get really attuned to the cycles of the earth, uh, when the seasons are and how things shift. And as we move into August, it's actually when the, the time when we start to, to go inside. Even though it's still still summertime, we're starting to really begin to prepare ourselves for that downtime in winter. So, um, yeah, it's been a great season, though. We're really blessed right now because it's been a, a season of a tremendous abundance, uh, more abundance than I think I've seen here 
and all the time I lived on the Western Slope. Now, are there any regulations in place or legislation that we should know about? Um, that's a really good question. I'm not super attuned to the politics that are going on, but what I do hear is, is that there's been a lot of talk about regulating building, regulating waste treatments and things like that in particular. And I definitely think that we have an opportunity, especially in Delta County now, because we don't have building codes, that we can actually set a tone and set an example for other communities in the world about how we can actually start to implement some of these ideas about passive solar heating for homes, alternative building, hyper-insulation so that we don't have to use so much heating, whatever you're using, um, waste product, whether it be gray water systems or humanoid systems, how can we keep those resources into our cycle instead of just disposing of them and seeing them disappear? So I think we have a great opportunity right now to be proactive about creating some systems that will actually show the rest of the world how we can actually live in this mentality where we don't have to just throw everything away. It's, it's, we're really on the cusp right now on the Western Slope because things have been growing around here a lot in the last five to 10 years. And so a lot of people are starting to think more and more about like, how are we going to manage the growth that's happening here? And we could either do with the the way that people have been doing it for a long time, which is very traditional and stick framed homes and imported materials and flushing toilets and things like that. Or we could change that and we could really be cutting edge and actually demonstrate to the rest of the world like how how can we take these products? How can we take the resources that we're using and be conscious about that? If you are just tuning in, you are listening to Local Motion on KVNF. You just heard from Wind Clearwater of the Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute. For more information about permaculture and the Institute, or to sign up for their next course, visit crmpi.org. Up next is my conversation with Elizabeth Agee of Moonhill Dairy, a cheese manufacturer near Steamboat Springs. She's also the Just Good Food Manager for the Colorado Farm and Food Alliance. Today, Elizabeth and I touched on the intersection of farming and permaculture as well as some barriers individuals interested in permaculture might encounter. Let's dive back in. So how does farming and permaculture intersect in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think as I've gotten more into farming and away from just like kind of homestead garden scale, I've had to like introduce more tools. Like I started with permaculture, but then like holistic management and a little bit of biodynamics, just system design. Like I've had to do like solar water pumping classes and like all this stuff just to like figure things out. But as far as permaculture goes, the foundation and like philosophy, it's a lot of what's taught, you know, at least like where I went to school and stuff is like food forest. And like for me, it was like, like plant bananas in like a tropical greenhouse, which is cool, but like not very viable as a business. And I think a lot of us walk away from those PCs very idealistic and like full of like a million different systems and like, wow, I want to do all of this. But a lot of it isn't practical when you're like trying to make a business out of it. So I think it definitely like informs like all of our decisions. We're always, how can we integrate the animals into what we're doing like is there like another animal we should get for instance we got pigs this year because we have so many thistles in this garden space that I'm working with because it hasn't been tended to 
And it turns out these pigs love thistles. That's their favorite thing. So I can put the pigs in the garden and they can do some of that work for me that's like prickly and like uncomfortable, but they enjoy so it's symbiotic, you know, and then the bed prepped and I can plant stuff. So I think we always try and keep that in mind, but it's definitely not like a food forest that we're building, you know, but there's principles. We're trying to incorporate more like cover cropping into our garden systems and, you know, definitely like pollinator plants, always plant flowers in between things. You know, I mean, like we started out, we've done so many different things to figure out what works for us as farmers who are also like passionate about permaculture. And we started out as duck berry farms. So the concept was we had ducks and berries and we had a, a duck pond, you know, and they like poop in the pond and it becomes this like fertilizer, wampy compost tea thing. And we would just pump that and use that to irrigate or like fertilize the garden, you know, and and so that's like closing the loop and like thinking about how to include the animals in a way that's like beneficial to something else. We also do cheese. So we have cows and we do rotational grazing for them and planting like diverse pasture. And we have like one pasture that's specifically for mamas and calves. So it has really nutritious things planted in it, different clovers and chicory and dandelion and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I mean, just like trying to be like mindful of their process as an animal. We move the cows to steamboat for the summer because it gets so hot here and then they winter here. That's more typical of animals or hoofed animals, like migration patterns. You know, so we just like think about stuff like that. Like, how can we do that in a system where we also have fences and controls? I suppose we want it to be natural, but it also has to be practical and it has to work. And with that, there's just endless experimentation, it seems. So what are some barriers or challenges someone might experience if they're wanting to get into permaculture? I mean, definitely capital and, like, viability. We fortunately were able to, like, save a bunch of money with the intention of having a farm. So we like had money to experiment, you know, it didn't go how we thought it would, you know, we like lost a lot of money, I guess, in the process. So there's just like a really long learning curve because it's not, it's not just like the journey to like getting land. It's like the journey to like getting land and then figuring out what you want to do and the intersection of what works on that land and financially and like for your mental health and physical capacities, all those sorts of things, you know, like you don't really know until you do it. So I think that like the experimentation process and the learning curve is extensive and quite long, pretty much all the time, like in every successful project I've ever seen. Luckily, we have a woman who wants to like transition her farm and is very like generous and helpful. Like she's like our like adoptive farm mom. So that really helps. And then I think labor, you know, like it's just me and my partner doing three farmers markets, making all the cheese, picking all the fruit, irrigating every day, feeding all the animals, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you have to wait until like the business of cash positive to be able to like hire help so you have to be realistic that like it's just going to be like really hard and you just have to stay hydrated and do it and like 
it sucks. Like it doesn't suck. Like it's beautiful, but it's hard. And, you know, I think the dream for a lot of people is to like have a community or something, you know, and like, that's cool. But there has to also be like a realistic pathway to that. And sometimes it's joining like an eco village, you know, um, that's already established or something. And sometimes it's like just helping out on someone's farm as opposed to like buying land in Colorado, you know, there's a million different ways to look at that. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're wanting to like own land and maintain it, that's very expensive. And you really have to have like a business that like works, makes money, (laughs) you know, or and have another job. If there's anything you'd like people to know about the work that you're doing, what would that be? You can buy our cheese at the Payonia Market on Tuesday evenings and berries and fruit and stuff. But I work for Colorado Farm and Food Alliance and, you know, I do a lot of permaculture education and we're doing like a river restoration project on the 29th. And then we also have a beavers and brews public event on the 18th at Chrysalis. And yeah, both of those are just like opportunities to like talk more about water security on farms and ranches and how you can like work with nature to secure more water on your land. Um, working with like beavers and different like low tech solutions that really help kind of sink and slow water and like create ponds and like different environments that can be really beneficial when the irrigation water gets shut off and that sort of thing. We just heard interviews with Wind Clearwater of the Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute, as well as from Elizabeth Agee of Moonhill Dairy and the Colorado Farm and Food Alliance. Thanks for tuning in to Local Motion on KVNF, your mountain-grown community radio. I'm Cassie Knust. For Local Motion programming, you can visit our website at kvnf.org. Thanks for listening.